This episode of Trek Geeks is brought to you by our friends at Fansets. See their incredible array of officially licensed Star Trek pins and collectibles at fansets.com and stay tuned for a special discount code just for Trek Geeks listeners. Fansets. We are Star Trek. Hi, this is Andy Robinson, Elam Garrick on Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and you are listening to the biggest little podcast this side of the Gamma Quadrant. It's the Trek Geeks podcast with Dan Davidson and Bill Smith. Failure to tune in would not sit well with the Obsidian Order. Podfleet Command Special Command Center in the Ninth State of the Union. It's the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant, your independent Star Trek podcast. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to Trek Geeks. I'm your co-host, Bill Smith. It's so great to be here. It's so great to be back. And by back, I mean from my trip, but you guys will hear about that at some point. Uh, we have a fantastic topic on hand for you tonight and, and a special guest with which to delve into this topic. And well... I don't have to tell you about it. I can let my partner in crime tell you about it. And well, he's the other half of our see it or skip it episode. He's the lovely and talented Dan Davidson. And Dan, welcome aboard, buddy. I'm always excited for this topic. It's one of the topics that I think uh, both the listeners and the hosts have really started to love uh, above everything else with Trek Geeks, and thank you for the introduction, Bill. I really appreciate it. And, of course, I'm talking about see it or skip it, ip it, ip it. It's really a great thing, and here we are, season four of Deep Space Niner. <laughs> no more Niners. No more Niners. No more Niners. I enough of those in Vegas, no. Uh, very excited. Um, Deep Space Nine season four is just an amazing season in itself, and uh, we're going to talk about it tonight, and it's not just going to be you and I. Oh, no, it's not. And uh, we've got somebody very special joining us, the one and only New York Times bestselling author, Dayton Ward, ladies and gentlemen, will be joining us for Cedar Skip Season 4. Oh, that's fantastic. Dayton's going to be a special guest geek for the full hour. I'm back. Whoa, take it easy there, Tim Taylor. Sorry. <laughs> and uh, it's, uh, it's always a joy to bring somebody in who has no idea what's going to happen with one of these things. <laughs> Exactly, because it is a, it is a bit of uh, of restrained chaos with you and me when we do one of these. Uh, when we do one of these, how about any time we do anything? Oh, that's fair. I'll, <laughs> I'll buy that. I'll buy that. Um, you know, one of the great things about Theater Skip is we get lots of input from people on episodes they would see or skip. Mm -hmm. And Dan, how might people let us know how they might see or skip a various episode from DS Nine Season Four? I just love the your segues are something of legend, my friend. It is very easy to get in, in contact uh, with us. 
uh, just head right on over to trekgeeks.com slash contact. And there you'll find a variety of ways to send uh, both Bill or I a message about anything you want to talk about. Uh, you can leave us voicemail. You can Skype chat us. You can fill out the contact form and type away to leave us a message. Or even easier, just click the big blue button on the right side of the website and leave us a voice message using SpeakPipe. And uh, as always, Camp Kittimer is right out there on Facebook for you to join up and uh, take part in all the fun. There's Star Trek Talks. There's pictures. There's contests. There's polls. There's the Friday commute celebration and just a whole bunch of fun stuff going on all the time over there. We love the people that are at Camp Kittimer and we'd like you to be part of it too. So just head right on over to facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer and one of our wonderful admins, Heather, Jackie, or Dan will let you right in on all the fun. But Bill, it's very, very important. I really have to point this out. Yeah. Uh, please remember that any comments or messages that you leave us in any of these places may be used in a future episode. That was, that was lovely. That's I, I, I could listen to you do that all day. I wanted friend. to give it a little romantic air this time, I think. And I think I succeeded. Does this mean I have to buy you flowers uh, again? You mean again? Oh, Oh, uh, Dan, as we uh, as we set to drop this Labor Day weekend is fast approaching here in the United States. Mm-hmm. And that means Dragon Con is occurring in Atlanta this weekend. And uh, if anybody happens to be going to Dragon Con is going to participate in some of the stuff on the Trek track, let us know. We'd love to hear how it went and uh, hear your stories of, of Dragon Con, certainly one of the biggest cons of the year uh, in the country. So uh, with that, we will take a quick break and be right back. Well, Dan, we don't have any news today per se, but we do have a special announcement, uh, something that we are incredibly fortunate to participate in with a dear friend of ours. Yes, uh, fortunate is is an understatement. We're so honored and thrilled. As many people may or may not know, uh, our good friend Vic Mignana from Star Trek Continues is in the midst of an amazing is in the midst of an amazing project uh, in which he is creating the audiobook version of Mark Cushman with Susan Osborne's three volume set. These are the voyages. It's going to be really an incredible. Um, uh, get together of a whole bunch of people involved in Star Trek way back from the 60s all the way up to present day with Star Trek Continues doing uh, the voices from various people from the original series. And I got to say, Bill, we are so honored to be part of this audiobook um, conglomeration, I guess we might be a good way to put it together. <laughs> I don't even know if that's a real word, but I'm going to go with it. Um, you are going to be doing the voice of Mr. Gary Lockwood, and I will be voicing Mr. Jeffrey Hunter. And I am so excited that we are involved in this. We cannot thank Vic enough uh, for bringing us on board, and we're really looking forward to see how the whole thing comes together. You know, for anyone who hasn't seen these books, and you really should because they're fantastic throughout it, uh, these are the voyagesbooks.com. They are a history of the original series season by season. Um, and Mark Cushman um, went back and, and went through some of Gene's documents and also, you know, did a, an incredible array of interviews um, that, that almost amounts to a verbal history of each season of TOS. Mm-hmm. Uh, complete with ratings information and, and all those things. And so it was an, an amazing project to start with. 
And now the audiobook version, I, I, I don't think could have have been handed off to a a better choice in Vic Mignogna. So, uh, like you said, Dan, it is our incredible honor to be a a small part of this audiobook mm-hmm. to voice two legendary individuals from Star Trek, um, in, in Gary Lockwood and Jeff Hunter. And uh, I, I can't wait to to talk to Vic about it on the podcast at some point, or even just to to hear your dulcet tones emanating from my headphones. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Anybody who's listened to any of the appearances that Vic has been on Trek Geeks knows that he has some amazing stories to tell about Star Trek Continues, and he already has some amazing stories to tell about putting this audiobook uh, version of These Are the Voyages together, one of them being a great story about Mr. Clint Howard, who he just had at his uh, studio just a couple of days ago to record um, some of the uh, passages in this book. So I'm sure he's going to have some great additional stories to tell us when we do have him on, hopefully in the near future, to talk about the book, because I think it's going to be coming out uh, in 2019, early, if I remember correctly. Well, here's hoping, you know, people like Dorothy Fontana read, you know, her own excerpts from the book, mm-hmm. uh, Joe D'Agusta, Clint Howard, like you said, and then a whole bunch of people that Vic has assembled to read various parts in, in the audiobook. So uh, it's pretty exciting. It's these are the voyages books.com and we hope everybody will check it out. And uh, again, we have Vic on. We can't wait to talk about it and let everyone know more about it. Can't wait. Hey listeners, this week's episode is being brought to you by Fansets. With new Star Trek pins being released twice a month, you know, you're never going to run out of awesome new pins to display at home or at work or on yourself. Just don't, you know, hurt yourself when you put the pin in your shirt like I do. Uh, (laughs) This week, we're going to offer a special 15% discount off your entire order at Fansets.com by simply entering the word DS9 Wharf at checkout, all capital letters. That's DS, the number nine, and then WARF. This code will be available until Monday on uh, midnight on Monday, September 3rd. So don't delay because Fansets is pinpoint accuracy. And we thank our friends at Fansets for sponsoring this week's episodes and putting up with the fact that I can't talk. Well, I don't think anyone's surprised by the fact that you can't talk. (laughs) Um, I got to say, I'm on the Fansets website right now. And I'm looking at some of the pins that are out there. And I, I got to tell you, Dan, I'm still crushing on that William Shatner oh. uh, autograph pin. Um, it, it's fantastic. He has hand signed each and every one of those. Mm-hmm. And then there are some of the other pins that they rolled out at Las Vegas at STLV yes. that are now on the website, like the, the LLAP, the Live Long and Prosper Salute pin, which I love. The Vulcan Idic pin. Yes. I, it looks gorgeous. I have it. I do. And it is it is so brilliant and shiny and big. Oh, oh my big. god. And I got to say I love the new Odo in a bucket pin. That's become one of my favorites. <laughs> I mean, it, it's really cool cuz it, it's Odo's bucket, which mm-hmm. we've seen on Deep Space 9. Mm-hmm. And then it looks like, you know, gelatinous Odo when it turns into regular Odo. And I think it's a fantastic looking pin. I love that pin so much that I think I might have Renee sign that someday at a convention. It's going to be kind of tiny writing because he's got a long name, but it's they really nailed it with that one. It looks fantastic. I uh, But, you know, th- there's the new black and white version of the Too Boldly Go pin, 
which uh, which I love. I mean, so many people watched Star Trek in black and white when it first came out. And I think this is a wonderful salute to how some people's fandom started originally. I mean, I have the color pin too, but I got to say, man, I love that black and white pin. It's great. And as people start listening to this, when the episode drops, this coming weekend, it's the first of the month, which means a new pin is going to be available and it's going to be one of your favorites, buddy. The Refit Enterprise is scheduled for release on the first. Oh, that that is this coming weekend as we mm-hmm. record this. Uh, I, I, I'm not going to lie. As soon as that is available, I'm placing my order right away. And um, I, I, I can't wait. I got to have that thing. Can I give you a little advice? Yeah. Not have to order it. <laughs> Somebody might have already planned on getting it for you. Oh, buddy, you're the best. <laughs> oh, I hope you used your special fansets discount offer code, which this night, uh, this week, of course, is DS9 Wharf for fifteen percent off and uh, of your entire order, which is fantastic. Of course, fanships is going to uh, fanships, okay. fanships, fan disease. Fansets <laughs> is going to ship anywhere. That's how awesome they are. And Dan, we gather once again to consider one of the fan favorite topics here on Trek Geeks over the last couple of years, and that is, of course, our our storied see it or skip it episodes. These have become a lot of fun to do, man. Oh my God, these are these are not only a fan favorite; they are a Bill and Dan favorite. I think, uh, without hesitation, whenever we talk about a see it or skip it coming up, we both get excited. We have a great time going through our checklist. Um, and one of the other reasons why it's so much fun to do see it or skip it is because we get to bring somebody in to help referee our uh, back and forth for whether or not we like these episodes or not. And and this week is is really special. We've had him over on Discovering Trek before. He is a New York Times bestselling author from awesome books such as Drastic Measures from Discovery, which is just amazing, to the Hidden Universe Travel Guides of the Klingon Empire and Planet Vulcan, of course, and one of Bill's favorite novels, Headlong, Headlong Flight, English is hard. Um, it is our pleasure, Bill, to once again welcome Dayton Ward to one of our podcasts. And this is the first time on Trek Geeks, I think, Dayton, isn't it? I think it is. How are you doing? Well, we're doing better now that you're here because now I don't have to listen to Bill the entire time. So uh, I really appreciate you coming on, man. Well, now let me see if I have this right. You brought me on to be a referee, which implies <laughs> adulting or maturity in some manner. At least at a level higher than we do okay. it. Manage your expectations. <laughs> yeah, it's a low bar. <laughs> I will do my best not to trip over it. <laughs> and it's 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 actually quite funny because after we had you on Discovering Trek, we had such a great time that one of the first things we said after we disconnected that night was, oh my God, we got to have Dayton on for one of the Cedar Skippers because it would just be a blast. So here we are. Well, let's see what happens. <laughs> well, and indeed we will. And unfortunately, Dayton, you have the unenviable task of reigning in us tonight so you're gonna you know progress us through the season with each episode and then we'll kind of weigh in on whether we'd see it or skip it but i mean the conceit here is that it's star trek we're gonna watch it anyway this is just sort of a fun way to go through the season and and talk about the episode so um you can alternate however you like Uh, you can call on dan first all the time or or not it doesn't matter and then at some point i'll go through and i'll give the reactions from our camp kittimer facebook group which is uh, usually pretty interesting and i think this uh, season will be no exception Okay. Well, all right. Well, with that, why don't we get started with uh, episode one? 
All right, away we go. Episode one is now. Are we doing this as two parter or one two hour season premiere? I think we'll do it in two parts because that's how they listed in Netflix. Okay, I can't remember if it was a two hour premiere or not. Anyway, uh, so Way of the Warrior. Part one, a Klingon fleet arrives on its way to expand the Klingon Empire at the expense of the Cardassians in the face of the Dominion threat. And Worf is brought to DS9 to negotiate. All right, Dan, let's start with you. What do you think? See it or skip it? Well, how can it not be a scene? <laughs> Great entry like that of course Worf coming in back into the star trek universe michael dorn does a great job i definitely gave this a see it i i remember how excited i was before the season started because the promos that they were showing on television would show the klingon symbol um in the backdrop of space at warp speed and that the klingons were coming back and so i thought it was just a great way to open the season what do you think bill Oh, I have to agree with you. I mean, I, I wasn't all that sold on Worf coming on board Deep Space Nine to start with, but I really liked how they brought him on board. It showed that we were going to see Worf a little differently. A great way to kick off the season. I felt like this was DS9 firmly declaring that from here on in, this is what this series is going to be like, and I think it does it very well. So for me, this is a definite see it. Yeah, I'm going to have to side with both of you guys. Obviously, I mean, I was the same way. When I heard Worf was coming on, I was... Uh wondering if it was just going to be a gimmick that would not work or if they would do what they had already demonstrated they could do and take the characters in crazy directions that we don't necessarily anticipate. I think they started off pretty strong here. Now, it might surprise everyone to know that Camp Kittimer actually agrees with us completely. 100% of the respondents, which I, I think is rare for a season premiere, Very said rare. they would see this episode. Well, I'm glad they're seeing it our way. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I mean, it's easy. We can move straight into part two. Uh, yeah, let's the description do it. is the, last time on Star Trek: Deep Space Nine, <laughs> um, and you know, so it's part two. Everything kicks off where we left off. So we'll throw it to Bill this time. You know, I think that this is one of the the two parters that has one of the best conclusions, and I'm glad that Worf is sticking around. I love the upgrades to the station in this episode, and if this storyline is really any kind of indicator, I think season four is going to be a fantastic ride for See It or Skip It. So as you might have guessed, Dan, this is a See It for me. Mm, yes, we are in agreement again. I can see this being a common theme with season four. Yeah. Uh, I gave it a See It. it it's like you said, it's a great conclusion to the season opener. All of the photon torpedoes, that, the launchers that they have on the station now, and all of the uh, work that they did for the possible Dominion threat now get to be faced off with the Klingons. Special effects were awesome, and the storyline sets up for just an amazing season. So, um, And seasons, plural, of DS9. So I definitely gave it a see it. What about you, Dayton? Well, I'm definitely going to give it a see it. And I think we've overlooked one of the very key elements of the fourth season of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, which is Ben Sisko has shaved his head. Yes. Grown his yes. beard back. He's hot oh. in space. <laughs> we all know it's on now. So Love that. Love that. Uh, I, I absolutely agree. I mean, that was one of my favorite parts of, of, of season, you know, the end of season three, beginning of season four is when the goatee came back and then the head got shaved because I'm like, all right, it's on Dominion. Come and <laughs> get it. My head now you can tell I'm serious. That's right. Um, unlike Dan, when he shaves his head, he just really kind of looks dumber. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hey, oh, uh, now we're two for two with Camp Kittimer, by the way. 100% of respondents said they would see part two of The Way of the Warrior. That has wow. never happened before. Wow. Usually with a two-parter, there are some people who drop off. So this is Camp Kittimer history on Seattle. Skip it, Dan. It is history. It's historical. And I'm glad that uh, you're a part of it, Bill, even though you just called me dumb. 
Uh, well, you know, I, I calls them like I sees them. <laughs> Yet we digress. Yes, we do. All right. Well, that was easy. I got a feeling we're going to see a lot of this as we drive through this season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. I really don't understand anybody that puts that argues with the next episode for the season. Uh, the Visitor. An elderly Jake Sisko relates the story of how he lost his father to a temporal displacement accident. Take it away, Dan. Well, I think Bill and I have both talked about this before. This may be the best episode of Star Trek ever of all series in any season. It's Tony Todd, it, it is a very bold statement, but it's just so powerful. Uh, Tony Todd is brilliant. The bond between father and son in this episode is simply storytelling perfection, in my opinion. Um, and, oh, yeah, we get to see Captain Nog, so there's always that, too. So it's definitely a see it for me, Bill. You know, uh, we've talked about this one, like you said, Dan, many times. And uh, not only is this a must-see episode of Deep Space Nine, to me, I think that this is Star Trek's finest hour. For me, and this is this is my statement, you know, your mileage may vary. For me, this episode is better than, better than City on the Edge of Forever. I oh. think it's I think it's the most beautiful love story in all of Star Trek, and that's why. Um, it's an absolute see it for me, but like I said, your mileage may marry, uh, may marry, marry. Your, your mileage may <laughs> I marry. Do. I do, Bill. <laughs> Mowage. Um, <laughs> your mileage may vary, Dayton Ward. No, I, I'm, I'm not going to diss on it like that. I wouldn't do that to you guys. Um, no, it is a very powerful episode, and, and it's got to be one of the very best, if not the very, very best, Deep Space Nine episode for sure. Um, whether it ranks as the number one episode of all time. I don't know. I'm ready to have that fight, but it's definitely up there. Uh, it is. It is one of the most powerful episodes of Star Trek ever. It is absolutely. Uh, in fact, when it was over, I called my dad that night just to see how he was doing. Oh man, oh, that's nice. awesome. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That was a what? that was a good one. All right, it, so go ahead. What did Camp Kittimer have to say? I can't. You, even, might, you might be surprised. You know, you would think that with Way of the Warrior one and two coming in at a hundred percent, that the visitor might follow that trend. But no, my friends. A mere 91.9% of respondents said they would see The Visitor. 8.1% said they would skip it. That's Band. amazing. Banned. Banned. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we've talked about this in previous episodes that, that every now and then there's a response in Camp Kittimer that we just don't get. Because when well, I guess it's the John Champion rule in effect, you know, everybody's favorite is somebody's least favorite or, or perhaps an episode they don't like as much. And, and I think that the visitor is probably a, a, a emblematic of that to some extent, but uh, yeah, 91 or almost 92% said that it, they would absolutely see it. And I definitely fall on, on that side. You know what? It's, no, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, one of the things that I find interesting guys is, is um, when I was on John Krikorian's show, uh, Trek profiles, we talked about the visitor at length. And one of the things he did not like about it, and I can understand this reasoning is the episode, basically uh, Jake commits suicide at the end. And some people have a hard time with that in television and, and it's a sticking point for some people. So I can certainly see why some people might be struck wrong, but I just got us. I just, gotta, it's one of the best episodes ever. It's so powerful. Yeah, I agree. I, well, I think it's one of the things that Star Trek has always done well is, is, is take topics that may not be as palatable and, and present them in a way that, that really gets us right in the feels. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I totally get where John Krikorian comes down on that. Um, I just, uh, uh, it's an episode that I can't help but weep openly. Right. And I don't mean cry. I mean, I weep during this episode. Yeah. This is one of those episodes that I use as a primer for someone who's new to Star Trek. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. 
So as, as one of a very, I try to vary it up in terms of, all right, if you like Star Trek, here's this kind of story. Here's this kind of story. Here's that kind of story. I try to mix it all up so that we get different types of stories to show just how flexible the setting is. And the children shall lead. No. <laughs> <laughs> and with that. Yeah, really. All right. Fired. So moving on to the next episode. Episode four, Hippocratic Oath. Bashir assists a rogue group of Jem'Hadar attempting to overcome their genetic addiction to Ketracel White. We'll start with Bill this time. Thank you, sir. You know, I, I really enjoyed this episode. I, I think one of the things I appreciate about it is that we've taken the friendship between Miles and Julian and we 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 tested a little bit. You know, before they were it was sort of an uneasy friendship, and on this one, you know, they've got a little bit of history behind them now, and, and then there's a conflict um where uh, they've got to kind of get past it and, and deal with things as Starfleet officers. So uh, I love the Jemadar aspect. I love the, the, the whole Ketracel white story. Uh, uh, this is an absolute seer for me, Dan. Yeah. This is one of my favorite episodes of the season. Actually it's, it's, we finally get to have a story that's very O'Brien Bashir centric instead of it just being a B plot about their relationship and what they're arguing about this week. Um, and I think it's a fantastic Jemadar story uh, talking about, and we get to learn about, you know, the, their addiction and the genetic addiction that they have to Ketracel White. And I think the title of this episode was really perfectly chosen because we get to see how doctors feel about treating patients, no matter who they are and what side of the line they're on. And uh, I think they do it very well in this episode. Yeah, this is the first of a, of a handful of episodes this season alone that are going to focus on Bashir. Um, and it's also one of those several episodes where it pits some of the, you know, a couple of the main cast against each other, mm-hmm. um, which is going to become a DS9 staple, um, sort of like the antithesis of Next Gen, where everybody got along and everybody was happy. Um, you're going to see a lot of this sort of interpersonal conflict throughout the season. What I also like about this, because it kind of gets short shifted in the uh, or short sheeted in the description, is this is the first episode where Worf is shown trying to fit in. Right. Yeah. yeah the crew back on the station and how life on DS nine is so different from life on the enterprise. And this is the first hint that they are really going to take him in different directions than what he had on DS on next gen. Good. Very good. Point. Uh, so it's a good, it's a good strong episode for uh, definitely for Bashir and O'Brien, but let's not forget Worf gets a, get some time to play around too. So, uh, but for me, it's a definite see it. I'd forgotten about that that aspect entirely. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, looking at Cam Kittimer results, they're really not unlike they were for The Visitor in that 90% of respondents said that they would watch this episode. So uh, it's, it's an interesting to me, the two strong episodes back to back. We've got roughly about a 10% drop off rate there. Um, just anecdotally, I think that's interesting. What's interesting about the whole season is even with the Dominion lurking, they're not yet center stage, but <laughs> a lot of time spent developing characters and character yes. relationships during this season, uh, up to about the halfway point when they flip the script on us a little bit. Um, no, it's just, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a really interesting year. Oh, without a doubt. All right. So moving on, we're going to go to indiscretion. Uh, forced to bring along Ducat on a personal mission to investigate the fate of the Ravenock. Kira discovers the real reason her old enemy wants to accompany her. Dan. Well, I love Goldcott. Everybody knows that. He's just so awesome. Um, I gave this one a see it. Uh, it's the first time that we've actually seen the Breen, 
um, or Princess Leia in disguise, whichever you want to go with, because either <laughs> one kind of works. Um, it's also the first time we see Zial, who quickly becomes a fan favorite uh, on the series. And Marco Limo, as usual, shines as Ducat in this episode. And what I liked about this is it really shows that he believes in family over everything else. And we definitely seen that in the final scene of this episode. You know, I, for me, this one's a see it also. I think that this episode is essential in the scope of Ducat and in the scope of Kira and in the scope of Ducat and Kira. Yeah, it's the first time we see Zial, but it's also the foundation of, of the sort of Ducat-Kira co-parenting of Zial to some degree. Plus, we learn a lot about Cardassia and its internal politics and all of these characters. For me, I think this has to be a see it by far. Yeah, it's a see it. Um, like you said, this is this is the beginning where we start to peel back the layers a little bit on the relationship between Kira and uh, Ducat. Um, it's an interesting character study. And of course, Zial, like you said, Zial ends up being a, a fan favorite pretty quickly mm, uh, and then absolutely. you know and then princess leia is an easter egg yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's uh it, that's one of the things that always struck me when i saw that the first time I'm like no no that's not a brain that's <laughs> carrie fisher <laughs> <laughs> and then of course well, you know back on the station cisco and uh um cassidy are their relationship is developing and you know, and we know there's a twist coming with that later on in the year. So, huh? What? What? Yes. What are you talking about? What? Spoiler alert! <laughs> no, I didn't say anything. I said there's a twist coming. <laughs> well, eighty-five uh, percent of the respondents in Camp Kittimer said that they would watch indiscretion. So um, that's a uh, that's still very solid. You know, usually by this point we see a lot of fifties and sixty percenters. Uh, so season four definitely starts off very strong. What I think is a hard thing to do with this year is that there are so many plot threads that run through multiple episodes. Yeah. Not just the, the stuff with the Dominion, but character arcs. Right. Mm-hmm. Begin in this, and then thread through the whole season. And it's hard to it's hard to single out an episode when you know that there are things going on before and after it that, that you need to know about when to enjoy the individual installment. It's kind of it's like watching the West Wing, you know? Yeah. No, um, absolutely. That's a great analogy. Yeah. All right. So Rejoined is in our next episode. Dax is reunited with Lenora Khan, whose previous host was the wife of one of Dax's former hosts, Tarias Dax. And the two struggle with their feelings for one another. Uh, let's see. It's Bill, it's your turn. Well, all righty. You know, this for me is another one of those essential Deep Space Nine episodes, I think. For all the reasons that that everybody states in fandom, you know, whether you see them at conventions or talking online, but I really think the performance by Terry Farrell in this episode really just sends it over the top. This is really one of her best episodes as Dax, and I think she really shines in this episode. So for me, Dan, this is 100% see it. Yes, uh, 100% see it. Wow, we're six for six so far. I know. Um, and And like you said... It's always talked about. I remember the controversy when this episode first aired, and it's like, Jesus, so what? It was a beautiful and tender moment when Dax kissed Lenara Khan in their quarters. Uh, And this episode is a great presentation of what Trill society is like, and it's one of my all-time favorite Dax episodes. Just that's it. That's all I can say about it. It's awesome. I love Terry Farrell in this episode. Yeah, it's to see it for me, too. I mean, we get more about the Trill culture in this one right. episode mm-hmm. than, than I think we got in entire seasons up to this point. Um, it's a very interesting uh, character dynamic. And uh, like you said, Terry Farrell does great with the material she's given. And I'm a big Susanna Thompson fan. So yes. I was in anyway. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. She's fantastic in this and great casting opposite Terry too. 
Yes. Yeah, they, they definitely have a chemistry. Absolutely. Well, you know, it's interesting because when I look at the results for this in Camp Kittimer, um, this is the lowest rated episode so far of the the six that we've done. 74.2%. And still, that's a high response rate for Camp Kittimer said that they would see this episode. So uh, three out of four. Well, I think it's, I don't, it's interesting to wonder, you know, what it is it's driving some of that. I mean, it's not a very action-y episode at all. I mean, no. it's definitely a bottle show. Um, and, you, and you're going to see more of those this year. But um, even when they do a bottle show, I mean, the, the, the writing staff for DS9 cannot be praised enough. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. They just, they have such a rich selection or, you know, a, a rich cast of characters to mess with. And not just the main characters, but the recurring ones as well. It's just they have so much to work with and so many talented actors working for those characters. It's amazing that they had a they had a, an embarrassment of riches here. Oh, without a doubt. So all right, so we're six for six on seeing it all, huh? All right. See it. All right. So number seven, Starship Down. The USS Defiant becomes trapped in a planet's radiation-filled atmosphere after battling with the Jem'Hadar. Take it away, Dan. Well, seven for seven, I got to say, boys, uh, this is a see it for me. I love this episode. Uh, we get to see three separate groups of people dealing with the current situation on the Defiant. And I'm going to break them down real quick. We have the Kira Cisco aspect that Cisco can't die because he's the emissary. So we get to see how much Kira believes in her faith. I thought that was very interesting. Dax and Bashir trapped together in season one. This would have been creepy stalking Bashir, trying to get, have an opportunity to get with Dax. But now it shows their deep friendship that's evolved over the past three seasons plus. And with Quark and Hannock, uh, even after being caught cheating the Karama and they're both close to death, Quark is still a master negotiator and uh, he ends up winning at the, in the end. So it's a great uh, character building uh, episode for all of these people involved. Bill? You know, I agree, Dan. I'm seven for seven, too, which is really kind of scary because we've never agreed this much on a season. But I have always loved this episode. I think it's a great story. And for me, the Kira Cisco interactions are some of my favorites in the series. Plus, when you consider that this episode is co-written by David Mack, uh, <laughs> enough said, uh, you just have to love this episode. So for <laughs> me, it's a see it, Dayton. Yeah, I'm I had to admit my bias up front because it's written by two friends of mine, David Mack and John or they provide the story, David Mack and John Ordover. Um so I'm already predisposed to like this. Um, but I'm also a fan of old time submarine movies. Yeah. Which this is like, I mean, this right. is, this is very reminiscent of something like, and in fact, Dave, I think even suggested that, you know, Das Boot and the Poseidon adventure were inspirations for the story. Um, nice. I'd have to look it up that I'd look that up though. Um, no, it's an easy see it for me. This is just a great, this is what, <laughs> this is what you can do with a bottle show. You can, this is this is pushing the the expectations of what you can get out of a bottle show, right? And uh, I, I was just going to say that too because we just a minute ago we were talking about how great the bottle shows on Deep Space Nine were, and here's one of the best of them right there. Eighty seven percent of the respondents in Camp Kittimer also agree with us that they would see this because it's just a fantastic episode. Yeah. Okay. All right. So moving on to episode eight. And if people disagree with me on this one, then I, I can't help them. I don't know what I don't know what to do with you. All right. Little green men. Quark, Rom, Nog and Odo are accidentally thrust back in time to Roswell, New Mexico, Earth in 1947. See it. Done. Next question. <laughs> well, no, I'm just kidding. Well, I'm really not sure what you're trying to say, Dayton. I wish you'd make your point a little more clearly. Um, for me, this is the quintessential Ferengi episode. I mean, I, I, I've admitted before I'm not a fan of some of the other ones, 
but this one is impossible to not love. It's a, it's perfect on every level. And I think it fires on every cylinder. If I can create any more colorful metaphors and analogies, I will. But uh, Dan, this is hands down. See it. Oh, this is any, if this isn't a hundred percent, I will on camp kid. I'll be very surprised. This is a see it for me. It may be the best Ferengi episode ever. I would have to watch this one. And then the magnificent Ferengi back to back to decide because they're both so good. Um, it looks like everybody had just a blast with this story. It's a great time travel story. Um, and I love the continuity when they pull Easter eggs, uh, in episodes when Nog was studying earth history and, thought it was very strange that gabriel bell looked a lot like captain cisco i just <laughs> love stuff like that um the only thing that i would say about it that i would like to have seen is that there was maybe some connection with nurse garland to some descendant of a trek character because she had a lot in this episode and it just was it would have been neat to have some kind of uh, end to that storyline somehow well, I think you guys know where I'm going to land on this one. <laughs> I'm not really sure. I, okay. I, I feel like I'm. I feel like I'm in suspense here. Just in hmm. case, there's still a holdout. I definitely. This is a see it for me. This is one of my <laughs> all-time favorite DS9 episodes. I yes. love 50s science fiction and monster movies. So this is right in that sweet spot. They. I remember the ad for this when it was, you know, like when the next time on DS9, the the, uh, the coming attraction, it was played like an old 50s movie trailer complete with the crazy fonts and the ridiculous, <laughs> you know, superlatives and hyperbole and all that stuff. It was great. Um, and I've made use of this episode in a couple of my books. So yeah, I love it. Nice. And uh, Camp Kittimer is along those same lines. 84% of respondents said they would see this episode. So not a hundred. Wow. But, uh, but still Dan for Camp Kittimer, that's pretty damn high. I don't know. It's not a hundred. I'm disappointed in them. <laughs> <laughs> Not to put too fine a point on it. Thanks, Dan. <laughs> Man, this is a rough room. <laughs> tough room, tough room. Okay. Moving on to episode nine, The Sword of Kalos. Worf, Dax, and Kor search for the Sword of Kalos to unite the Klingon Empire. Go ahead, Dan. All right. Well, uh, I gave this one a see it, but I give it a see it mostly because of Kor and John Colicos. I love him. Um, the idea of finding the sword that's been missing for so long and it's found so quickly by two different parties is a little tough to swallow. Um, and then they just leave it floating in space. That's a little tough to swallow. Um, I did like the... Um, uh, Call back to previous Star Trek episodes that we get to see Tural all grown up and just as slimy as his father Doras. So I did like those aspects of it. So I did give it a see it. William. Uh, oh, thank you, Daniel. Yes, very welcome. Um, uh, this is a see it for me too, but it, just barely so. I mean, largely it's because of John Colicos because I love I love him. I love Core. Core is my favorite Klingon of all time. Uh, just because you know he was first and all uh, the bickering between Worf and core is a little hard for me to take or believe for that matter. Um, but I really think it's still worth watching. So it's a definite see it for me. Yeah. I'm, I'm like you guys, it was a see it, but it was a very, I had to go back and forth on it a couple of times before I landed on it. And, and it's largely because of John Colicos. Um, I don't know why he didn't just gut cork. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. With a, with a dull butter knife, but that's, you know, um, <laughs> I mean, it's an interesting insight into some Klingon lore that we haven't seen yet. Um, but I'm like you. Like, everybody's everybody's been looking for this thing. Then everybody finds this thing, and then we leave it. <laughs> Indiana yeah. Jones and the Sword of Kaelas. Yep. I was just going to say, it's like the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah. So, um, yeah, this is, of the, of the nine episodes we've so far talked about, this was the first one that I waffled on. 
Yeah, I'm right in that same boat. And Camp Kinnemer comes in at about 81% of respondents would see this episode. So um, I'm, I'm not surprised by that, given that it was just barely a see it for me. And uh, I suspect that you two are probably in the same boat. I have to say that I'm a little surprised it's that high after only 86% gave a see it to Little Green Men. I know. I would have thought it would be a lot lower. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. But I'm a fickle crowd, you guys. I know, right? Oh, what can we say? It's uh, it's a direct reflection of the co-host of this show. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. All You're right. welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> All right, moving on to episode 10. Our man Bashir. Bashir plays a 1960s secret agent in a hollow suite with Garrick. In order to save several crew members from a transporter accident, their patterns are stored into the holodeck, causing Bashir and Garrick problems. <sighs> Go ahead, Bill. <laughs> well, it's, it's amazing. My family has that same reaction every time. I, talk to me. Um, I, I love on this episode so hard. I mean, I'm a diehard James Bond fan. I love the Flint movies. I love all the spy genre things, man from uncle, you name it. I, I, this is just a nice play on a holodeck gone wrong episode for me and that trope. So for me, this is a see it because it's just so much fun for me, Dan. I, I love this episode so much for so many reasons. Um, I love the holodeck episodes because every holodeck episode is a holodeck episode where something goes wrong. Um, and the way that they use the holodeck to save their patterns is really quite brilliant writing, I think. Uh, I love the goofy aspects of the 60 bond, 60s Bond movies. Um, Cisco as Hippocrates Noah is just unbelievably awesome. And I got to say, Terry Farrell in those glasses with her hair down is one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen on television. So it is a definite, definite see it for me. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, <laughs> Dan gets get a excited. Yeah, yeah uh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, I finally went with see it. Um, <laughs> I'm not generally a huge holodeck episode guy, uh, mm -hmm. Captain Proton notwithstanding. Yep. Um, but again it was obvious that they had so much fun with this and the writers were able to turn what had already become a star Trek trope in its own right on its head a little bit mm -hmm. and have some fun with it. Um, I forgave it. Plus I'm a huge James Bond fan. So that, that helped. And apparently, you know, they were very much James Bond fans too, because they got a nasty gram from the people who own James Bond <laughs> so, oh. as a result of this episode. So you'll notice that later when they visit the hollow suite program, they toned down a little bit of the references. Interesting. Um, but it was a fun episode. It's it, I, When I first thought about this, I was thinking, wait a minute, the Dominion has come in, the war is here, everybody's getting crazy, and we're going to have a holodeck episode. And then I remembered where it was in the chronology. So I'm like, I forgave it for that. I think that's one of the things that Deep Space Nine has always done brilliantly, is they find yeah. a way to inject one-off episodes or stories that break up the whole Dominion arc, yep. simply just to keep things interesting. Yeah, actually, going back, it re I realized this is the perfect the perfect episode to have before the next episode when we turn things a little more serious. Oh yes. So and that brings us into episode 11 home front Cisco and Odo are brought to earth when it's suspected that changelings are infiltrating Starfleet. Dan. Well, this part one of the two parter is, is just amazing. It's, we get, we get to finally see, I, I gave it a see it by the way. I'm so far. So I'm 11 for 11. Um, we finally get to see the paranoia that the Dominion has started to spread throughout the Federation when we really haven't seen the Dominion that much. That shows how much of a threat they really are going to be and are. So I definitely gave this one a see it, Bill. 
I, I agree with you. We're 11 for 11, Dan. This is unprecedented on a wow. variety of levels. This is one of my favorite two-parters in Star Trek because we get a really good look here at how the Federation is treating the Dominion threat and the lengths at which they're willing to go. Plus, I love Robert Foxworth anytime he shows up <laughs> in anything. And whenever he shows up in Star Trek, he's usually pissed off. And so that makes me happy. So uh, definite see it for me. Yeah, I came down on see it pretty easily. Um, it's interesting that this episode serves as a wake-up call to Starfleet about yeah. just how deadly or just how dangerous the threat is. And it's interesting that it comes as it does in the season after we've had two or three lighthearted romps and some other character studies where we really haven't had a lot of action going on. And then all of a sudden it's like a, s a reminder, hey, there's bad guys out there. And not only that, but they're here in our backyard. So to me, it was a great, just a gear shift change for the season at this point right here. Nice. And then, like you said, I'm a, I'm a huge Robert Foxworth fan. So anytime he shows up, you know, you're in for some fun. Well, and Camp Kittimer agrees with us, you know, 100%. And I mean that literally 100% of respondents said they would watch Homefront. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. Uh, hands down. It's, it's a fantastic episode. Well, then hopefully the next one will be pretty easy. So we can go to episode 12, Paradise Lost. As Cisco and Odo prepare for a Dominion invasion, they discover a plot to place the Federation under military control. Bill. I love how the title of this episode is so profound because that's really what's going on here. You know, you get the reveal that this whole thing has been the Dominion plan all along, this reaction. And you realize how deep their reach truly is and what the stakes really are. So hands down for me, this is a see it if I, if it wasn't obvious from from the previous pick. Um, I love I love the hell out of this episode, Dan. Yeah, this is a see it for me, too. And the thing that's amazing about this is as O'Brien Changeling tells Cisco, there's only four Changelings in the Alpha Quadrant at this point, and look at the havoc they've wrought. I mean, it's it's amazing that there's martial law on Earth, and it's just inconceivable, yet there we are. Uh, the Dominion's plan is working perfectly up until Captain Cisco really gets involved. It's just a great episode all around, a great conclusion, even though we see that Leah Brahms has somehow become a Starfleet officer and is in command <laughs> of the Starship. <laughs> Damn you, people <laughs> casting. Um, no, I mean, yeah, this is an easy see it for me. This is one of those rare two-parters that lives up to the cliffhanger, you know, that it deal that it's dealt. Um, I, it's so many layers to this episode, not just for what's going on in the story arc, but for the show as a, as a whole. I mean, it's like Paradise Lost, DS Nine, as a series spent a lot of time deconstructing, if not outright subverting what we th thought of as a traditional Star Trek story. Absolutely. Yep. And right here is where it really kicks into gear. And this sets the tone in large part for the remainder of the series right here. Mm -hmm. And they're basically telling, you know, they're coming for us and you guys aren't ready. You've been screwing around and now we're here, which you could argue they were doing that earlier in the season. So yeah, to me it's an easy. To me, this is the this is the 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 big shift for DS Nine that will carry it all the way to the end. Well, you may recall last time in our Camp Kittimer results, one hundred percent of the respondents said they would watch Homefront. Um, Ninety six point eight percent said they would watch Paradise Lost. One person. Uh, two actually. Two people. Two people said they would not watch the second half of this two parter. <laughs> 
They are being sent to the principal's office. <laughs> Dean Warmer. I think, I think that's fascinating because I, I, I wouldn't skip the second half of the story because I just I want to know how it turns out. Right. You know, um, mm -hmm. but uh, two people said that it's not for them, and 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 so it is. Okay, well, you know, to each their own. True, right? True. We got room for all sorts of opinions here, even the wrong we ones. I kidding, yeah. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Even dance. Oh, yeah. Wow. All right. Moving on. Episode 13. Crossfire. Odo's hidden feelings for Kira surface when the visiting Bajoran first minister, Shakar, begins to court her. Uh, Dan, it's your turn. All right. Well, this one was the one that I really had a hard time deciding on, but I decided to keep the streak going and I'm going to give it a see it. And the reason why I was really waffling on this is because I just do not like Shakar. I don't like the stories with him. I don't like the actor who portrays him. I don't think it's a very, very um, interesting character at all. But I gave this episode a see it because of Odo and his reaction, how crushed he is by what he sees happening with the relationship between Shakar and Kira. And Quark is masterful in this episode because he goes to his Odo's quarters and openly they discuss what's happening to him after he has this little rampage and breaks everything in his quarters. So it shows that very special yet odd relationship that these two have, which we discussed a few episodes back during the uh, talk about the ascent bill. Well, you know, Dan, we were 12 for 12. This was lucky 13. And I'm going to break with you on this one. I knew it. Uh, this one for me is a skip it. And uh, here's my first one of the season. Dan, are you ready? Oh, I'm ready. Here, here's my review. Meh. <laughs> this episode, <laughs> this episode is the bodyguard in space. Um, the only saving grace to this episode is Renee's performance. And that's because he's 100 times the actor that Kevin Costner is. <laughs> but uh, ultimately, I, I, I can't stand Shakar. I yeah. never, uh, like you said, Dan, I'm not a big fan of the character. I think he's a little too milk toast for Kira. Um, I, I still think when I see Duncan Rager as, as Shakar, all I can think of is, did I light the candle? <laughs> um, <laughs> a little sub Rosa, you sub -rosa know, sex ghost. Yeah. yeah, totally. <laughs> um, so for me, this one's uh, got to be a skip it. I'm sorry. First one. Uh, that's 20. Wow. That's all right. Well, we had to happen. It had to happen. It had to happen. It had to. Had to. Um, I was almost to skip it. I was, I was, I had plugged it in the other day and then I was w looking over my choices and I finally waffled and I flipped the bit and went back to see it. And I do it for two reasons only. And that is Rene Aubergenois and Armin Sherman. Mm. And yeah. their scenes together are the high points of this episode by far. Yeah. Um, you get, you get a lot about Odo in this episode and how he feels for Kira, but that little bit of quark that you see that kind of breaks the facade mm -hmm. where there's, you can tell there's more to him than the front he puts on as the businessman. And all of that is on Armin Shimmerman. You know, it goes yeah. back to the, to, to the, to the strength these actors have and the, and the talent they bring to their roles. So for that reason alone, I say, see it, but just skip to that scene with quark and Odo and then skip right. to, go to the next episode. Absolutely. It's uh, it's interesting because uh, so far this is the lowest rated episode of the season for Camp Kettimer. It's seventy one percent. Yeah, well, I think we will at some point. I think we're gonna we're gonna top it. But seventy one percent still still very respectable though. That is yeah. That's and you're not part of that respect. Okay. No, no, I disrespect this episode. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of 
Speaking of interesting character moments, um, number episode 14, Return to Grace. Ducat seeks Kira's help in regaining his rank in the Cardassian Empire. This is your turn, Bill. Oh, thanks, Dayton. Um, this is a scene for me. I love this episode because it continues that great Kira Ducat dynamic. And plus, it sets Ducat up for the next phase in, in his character's development, the sort of, you know, vigilante, you know, off on his own, one man war machine. Um, or one warbird war machine, if you will, um, a bird of prey, whatever the hell the ship is. Oh, Lord. Um, I know I'm a mess. I'm a mess. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Dan, this one for me is a see it. Um, give me more of this. Oh yeah, definitely a see it for me. So I'll give you some more. Uh, a lot of the things that you said, I'm going to echo bill. We get to see here what Ducat actually sacrificed by saving Zial's life. Uh, he lost everything. He became a lowly freighter captain. Uh, but then we get to see him take over that bird of prey and vow to become Cardassia's vigilante against the Empire. Um, and as always, in every single episode that Ducat is in, Mark Alimo is just brilliant. I wish I could just give him an Oscar, Emmy, Tony, Grammy, whatever kind of award you can give him for every time he shows up on the screen on DS9 because he's brilliant. Yeah, I'm a huge Mark Alimo fan. So anytime he's on the screen in Ducat, I'm – in fact – I have a I have a funny Ducat convention story that I can tell when we're done here. But um, <laughs> one of the other things that I like about this episode because it's a key moment, um, we are introduced to Goldemar. Or oh, yes, 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 and, yep. and he will factor heavily as the mm -hmm. series progresses. Kinda, kinda, sorta. You might want to pay attention. Um, <laughs> no, but this is this is this is an, uh, like a continuation of what we started um, with indiscretion. I mean, it's the next chapter in this little character arc between Kira and Dukat. So right. for me, on the strength of that alone, it's a see it. Absolutely. Camp Kettemer is right there with us. 85.5% of respondents said this episode was a see it for them. 14.5% saying, nah, not so much. Wow. So yeah, this is a, still a season four, very strong past the midway point here. Yep. Okay. Yeah, we're. Well, I mean, but we're still hanging pretty strong. Oh, absolutely. Well, episode 15. Solid season yet. Yeah, episode 15. Sons of Moog. Worf's brother Kern asks Worf to kill him as he has been cast out of Klingon society due to Worf's discommodation. Took him long enough. Um, <laughs> all right, so Dan, take it away. Uh, two words, baby. Tony Todd. <laughs> what? <laughs> this is a see it for me. Tony Todd again shines. Uh, I, this ending is one of the most heartbreaking endings in Deep Space Nine when Kern's memory gets wiped out so he won't be part of Worf's disgrace. That look of pain and defeat uh, on Worf's face as as Kern uh, leaves, or, or should I say as Rodek leaves, is so powerful. Michael Dorn, you know, sometimes we... we um, we complain that sometimes Michael Dorn as Worf was a little bit too stiff and, and didn't really show emotion other than him being pissed off very well. He shows great emotion here without even saying anything. You see his shoulders droop, and it's just a, a great, great scene. Uh, this is a definite see it for me, uh, Bill. Yeah, this one's a see it for me, but it really, believe it or not, Dan, this is one of the ones that was just barely a see it for me. For me, I think this conclusion is weak. Um, it just seems a little too far-fetched to me, um, especially in the scope of the whole Klingon honor thing. Um, getting his memory wiped and, and getting rebooted as uh, as Rodek just doesn't seem to be the thing that a Klingon would want to do. 
Um, but that's just me. Uh, I just, it's, it's one I have wrestled with over time. There've been times when I've loved this episode and times where I've just been like, eh, so I'm going to give it a, see it somewhat provisionally. Okay. That's fair. Um, I, I gave it a, see it. Um, some of the best moments that Michael Dorn has as Worf is when Worf has to make a decision and it's at odds with human morality or human ethics. You know what I mean? Uh, mm-hmm. Like he did in the enemy and next gen where he refused the transfusion or to help right. with the transfusion. And, and, you know, and, and Crusher was horrified, but Picard at the, at the ultimate moment when he, he could order him to do it backed off and respected, mm-hmm. you know, his cultural beliefs. And there's a little bit of that going on right now. I mean, it's like everybody can't really understand why he's doing what he's doing or why he made this decision for his brother, but they're not prepared to go to the mat against him about it. You know, mm-hmm. it's an interesting, uh, interesting turn. And, and Michael Dorn does pretty well with what, they, what he's given. Um, I left it. Yeah, it's I don't know that it's necessarily a necessary episode for DS9, but it, 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 but it's a good one. I gave it a see it. I think that's actually a good point. If I can jump in, Bill, that it's not a, a necessity episode. You're right. There's there's nothing going on in this episode that has any consequences down the line. Um, I think it. I think it's it's good that we get to see that conflict. Bill, you mentioned that you wouldn't. No Klingon would want that to happen to them. But does he really get that choice? I can't recall. Or is no, it that work made it for him? For him? Yeah, exactly. But I would think that Worf would know that his brother wouldn't want that. And Worf wouldn't want that himself, which is why I struggled with it. Gotcha. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. I mean, I, what's really the, 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 the downer part of the whole thing is that we never get to see um, Tony Todd in this role again. Yeah. Right. So it's sort of, it's kind of a downer way to end his character arc. True. So. What did the uh, uh, Kittimerites have to say? The Kittimerites in Camp Kittimer the official Facebook group of the Trek Geeks podcast, uh, 80.6% of them said they would see this episode. So that's a, that's a healthy number. Yeah. Um, you know, that's a, that's, I, I think that falls in line with, with kind of how I feel about it. It's there are days where I'd watch it and there are days where I'd be like, eh. so, um, yeah, that's cool. Okay. Well, let's see what the next one does. Cause it'll be interesting to see what the opinions are on this one. Bar association episode 16. Rom creates a union for Quark's employees and goes on strike. Uh, Bill, you're up. Well, here we are, gents. <laughs> <laughs> here we are. It's my second one of the episode. And by second one, I mean, it's my second skip it. And it's also my second meh. Um, this episode does nothing for me. Um, uh, apparently the alpha quadrant's not a right to work quadrant. Um, <laughs> Uh, sorry, boom, boom. Sorry, uh, but uh, just this episode just doesn't engage me at all. I, I, I the Worf story annoys me. Um, the, the whole union thing annoys me. Not because it's a union thing, just because it just the episode doesn't work for me. So for me, then it's a skip it. Okay, brother. Um, <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, we went fifteen strong, but uh, I gave this one my first skip it of the season, and. Uh, I went back and forth on it. I, I won't lie. Um, it's essential to see how Ferengi culture works, and it's crucial to see the um, back and forth with Brunt and Quark. But it's it's just a weak episode. Um, it Bill's right. The whole union thing and going on strike it just really didn't work for me. 
And to echo Bill, the B story with Worf being a big baby because things are different than they were on the Enterprise, just it's really annoying. We're 16 episodes in. You've been on Deep Space Nine for a long time. Grow a set, pal, and just deal with it. That, that's all I got to say about it. <laughs> yeah, this was one of my, this was one of my skippets. Um, I just, you know, other than Quark... <laughs> And and Raman Nog, I really don't care about the Ferengi. I never really have. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so to have an entire episode devoted to their workplace problems, just I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Armin Shimmerman, and I will watch him do anything. Uh, but it just I don't know. It just it was just one of those stories that I felt was misplaced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Strong stories with continuing character arcs, and we're. We're building the tension. We're ratcheting things up with the with the face off against the Dominion, and then I don't even know where this one came from. <laughs> <laughs> Just out of nowhere, you know. Well, uh, gentlemen, I congratulate you both on your first skip it. Thank you. First one's That's the a, hardest one. Yeah, I know. It, it is, really it is. is. It's you know you're getting off that uh, getting off that saddle. Uh, Fifteen in a row. Good for you boys. Camp Kittimer though, sixty nine point four. Um, say that they would see this episode. So a mm-hmm. little higher than us, um, but uh, still very interesting. I don't, not, yeah. not the lowest rated one of the season, I'm going to tell you right now. <laughs> I don't fault the performances. <laughs> I thought all the actors uh, yeah. uh, you know, were, were fine. There was nothing wrong with their performances. I just, I just didn't care about this particular storyline. Yeah. I, I really, I mean, in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a time period where you can walk up to the wall and order your dinner by pressing a button. Do we really need to have restaurant worker union strike? <laughs> there you go. I don't know. <laughs> you know, just uh... yeah, it just doesn't fit. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, let's see what we can do again. Let's see here. All right. So, okay. Here's another one that's a. It'll be interesting. A session, episode seventeen. A famous Bajoran poet. Please don't ask me to pronounce his name. Disappeared over 200 years ago, appears from the wormhole and claims that he is the true emissary. Dan. That would be a quorum lan, just to let you know. Gazundite. Baboom. Okay, yes. Um, I actually gave this one a see it, and I will say that it was never one that I paid a lot of attention to at first. But as I've watched the series over and over again, this has become one that I have really grown to love. And the reason is that this episode, Ben finally sees how important it is to be the emissary of the prophets, and it really defines him for the rest of the series. And one of the things that I like most in this episode, at the end of the episode, um, Akorum's unfinished poem was now complete. So that was a nice way to wrap up his story in a positive way that... um, he was sent back to his time and he was able to finish his work. And I will just always see the guy who played a quorum as the lead editor in the movie Fletch. So that's always a plus. Also. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice poll. I like that. Um, this one's a see it for me too. I, I like this episode because it throws characters into some uncomfortable situations. Dan, like you mentioned, this is where Cisco, you know, kind of gets that realization that, you know, there's a reason why he's the emissary and he starts to become slightly more comfortable in that role. Plus, you know, Kira realizing she's not an artist is not news to any of us. I'm just going to throw that out there. Um, I, I, it's an episode I've always enjoyed. And for me, it's an absolute see it. Yeah, I'm going to echo you guys, both of you. Um, this is this is a, a turning point for Cisco and it will inform him throughout the run of the show from here, mm-hmm. including right up until the finale. 
So yeah, it's an important Cisco episode and it's important for the, it's an important look inside some inner workings of Bajoran religion and faith. So um, yeah, it's a strong character piece. It's and, and, and this is the episode that they should have had instead of bar association. Yes. You know, so anyway, yeah, I, it's a see it for me. Kim Kittimer agrees with us uh, for the most part. 77.4% say that they would see this episode. And I uh, still highlighting the very strong quality of season four. Okay. I like it. We're back on a roll. We won in a row, streaking. All right. So, last. episode 18 Rules of Engagement. Worf accidentally destroys a civilian ship during battle and faces a hearing to determine whether he should be extradited to the Klingon Empire. Go, Bill. See, I knew it was going to be me, and then my spreadsheet froze. So now I can't <laughs> even see what I was doing. We're having some uh, difficulties with Dan. We'll switch it over. <laughs> but I actually know. I know my rating for this one. I'm going to say it's an absolute see it. Uh, this is an episode that I really love. Um, sort of law and order in space. Plus, I mean, you get J.G. Hertzler's former roommate as a Klingon in Ron Canada. So I'm very excited by this episode. Uh, absolute see it for me. Yeah, I, I agree. This is a see it. This is one of those Klingon ones that I always remember because I find it very interesting that Klingons who value honor over everything and anything else stoop to such deception to achieve their goals to try to get Worf out of the Federation. Uh, Cisco shines as Worf's counsel in this uh, episode. And as Bill said, advocate Chapak is brilliantly played by Ron Canada. And you just got to wonder if it's possible to have a better Klingon trial. Isn't it possible? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, uh, you hit on something I was going to bring up. Yeah, the, the Klingon Empire spends a lot of time doing dishonorable things mm-hmm. to Worf. Mm-hmm. Worf has been screwed by the Empire, dating all the way back to next gen, Sins of the Father. <laughs> right. Um, and so this is just another bit of that. Um, and, uh, and you know, will he ever shake this off? Tune in next week. Um, <laughs> no, but I mean, it's like you said, it's a little bit of law and order. And there's also a little bit of an echo to the uh, original series episode court martial, you know, where Kirk, yes. is, yeah. Kirk is on trial for doing a bad thing that we discovered later was not necessarily so. Um, so yeah, for me, it's to see it. I like how they had the, the you call back to court martial, like you just said, Dayton, they even have a little bell that they tap, uh, during the proceedings, which I thought was a, a great reference. I can't get to the Camp Kittimer results right now because my other browser window is frozen and I can't really end task on it because it's going to crash all my sessions. Well, I'm just going to assume that they're 100% in agreement with us. No. Uh, I like that because uh, it's, it's a great episode. So uh, let's go with that. It has a ring of truth. <laughs> all right. So you're frozen up on that website? Yeah, I'm going to see if... Uh, I'm going to see if I can find it. I actually have the results right here, actually. Oh, no, I don't. That's an old episode of TNG. <laughs> <laughs> Getting it straight off of the Google form. Um, I'm, if I can bring up my task manager, I might be able to go places. This ought to be interesting. <laughs> so, uh, Jason, tough when you your mouse do, is dead. Uh, over the weekend. <laughs> What's that? What'd you do over the weekend? I well, we worked, worked on the new book. book. So, oh, I've got it now. Okay. okay. Thank you. Thank you for uh, for vamping until I was ready. Uh, <laughs> 82.3% of respondents nice. would see this episode. So uh, very, very respectable. Okay. We're rolling. Okay. All right. So episode 19, Hard Time. O'Brien's mind has been altered to create memories of being incarcerated for 20 years on an alien world 
on charges of espionage. Dan, take it away. Uh, anybody who knows me and knows my love for Cole Meaty knows what I'm going to do with this episode. This is a see it times 10 for me. Uh, after Captive Pursuit, this is my favorite O'Brien episode, hands down. Um, Colm Meany does an amazing job in this episode as a completely defeated and broken man. And, I, you know, I, I talked about it before with how uh, one episode of, of TNG, I think, when you're a certain age, you have to go and die. And the, the laws are just crazy on some of these planets. But they're, 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 they're psycho crazy. And this is no different. The Agrafi... You know, you're going to do a punishment. We're going to not punish you for real. We're just going to throw things in your brain. So you're going to think you're being punished for so long. I think that's just ingenious storytelling. Uh, and I love that we got to see Margaret Rose, who, of course, played Cayman's wife, Aline, in the inner light. Uh, it was good to see her return to, to Star Trek as the Agrafi Corrections official. So uh, every which way you can possibly think, I give this one a see it, Bill. I wish you could really be plain about how you feel about this episode and not admire your thoughts and clever subtext. Um, <laughs> I try. Yeah. This for me is the ultimate O'Brien must suffer story. Um, it's the, it's the one that, you know, the spawned a thousand O'Brien, O'Brien must suffer memes. Um, it's essential. And I think that everything that Cole Meany does in this episode is just outstanding. It's a great script from start to finish and they just really executed this one. Well, definite see it for me. Yeah, I love these episodes. I love episodes like this one and the inner light and even Memorial on Voyager where something like this happens mm. to the crew. Um, and it's a definite, it's a definite um, showcase for Call Um it, It's a, it's a, it's a perfect uh, example of how a one-off character that was going to be in the background on next gen, mm -hmm. you know, gets spun off to the other show and flourishes. Right. Yeah. Um, this is a great, yeah. And I love captive pursuit too. That's one of my other favorite episodes. Um, just, but anything Meanie does with this character when, when they, when they let him off the chain a little bit, it's always fun to watch. Um, this is a definite see it for me. Well, a mere 9.7% of respondents in camp Kittimer said they would skip this episode. So, uh, lots of love for hard Nine. time as you might imagine. Plus, you got to admit, it's got to be cost-effective from an incarceration uh, perspective. Ex yeah, yeah, that's what's so cool about it. I think that's fantastic. We should start doing that here. So, <laughs> all right. So, episode 20, Shattered Mirror. Cisco attempts to rescue Jake after he is lured into the war-torn mirror universe by his mother's living counterpart. This is Bill's turn. Well, I know I shall draw the ire of my co-host with this particular selection but here is my third skip it of the season and also dan my third meh um this is where for me i feel like deep space nine started to go back to the mirror universe well just a few too many times um i, I thought it was great the first couple of times but now we're getting to a point where i think they're coming up with reasons to go there and at this point the mirror universe was losing its sort of oh cool factor for me so, uh, although I, I'm positive you're going to disagree because you're a Mirror Universe fanboy and I respect that, um, it's a skip it for me, sir. I don't even know who you are anymore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I gave this one a see it, as you might imagine, because I am a little biased. And I, have, I, I don't disagree with everything you're saying, Bill, but I actually think that this one was the 
pinnacle of the Mirror Universe episodes. And after this is where it really started to drop off in Deep Space Nine. But um, I like this one because we got to see Worf as the regent and Garrick literally on a leash. And we got to see the Defiant uh, in some great uh, space special effect battle scenes. Um, if there's one thing I didn't like about this episode, it's that too many of the characters that we know get killed for absolutely no reason at all. And that may be because it's the mirror universe, but Nog gets killed for no reason. And Jennifer, of course, gets killed and others do along the way. Um, but I still love it. It's mirror universe. We get to see the people out of their norm. And it's it's just something I always enjoy. So, um, uh, yeah, I gave it a see it. So to you, Bill. <laughs> I gave it a see it, but it was an almost skip it um, mm. for the same reasons. I'm at this point, I'm already tired of the mirror universe. Um, mm. They didn't do as bad by the mirror universe as Voyager did to the Borg. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, and Absolutely. I also think that this is perhaps the strongest of the mirror universe episodes that DS9 did. Um, but at this point, it's starting to already feel repetitive, and um, I'm like, why? Why? I mean, like you said, when they start killing off people, it's like, why, then why do we keep going back there? Yeah. Um, and then how are we going to do another one? So, um, because we know we're not done yet. Um, yeah, this was a this was a skip it, or I'm sorry, see it, but just barely. And Camp Kittimer, to the tune of eighty point six percent, said that they would see this episode. So. Um, that seems to be an average uh, for a lot of these episodes is right around the 80% mark. So I think that's pretty fair. Go MU. Woo. Go, right, well. Go F you, Dan. We should probably end up getting on the same page here again with this next one. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Episode 21, The Muse. While Odo assists a pregnant Loxana Troy, Jake falls under the spell of a mysterious woman, Onaya. Take it away, Dan. This is the best episode in Star Trek history. <laughs> no, uh, I, I did unfortunately have to give my second skip it of the season to this one. Um, as Bill has talked about, and I'm sure we will hear momentarily from him, I don't hate it as much as Bill does, but it just doesn't work for me. Uh, the saving grace in this episode for me, and see, I'm not even talking about the A-plot because it's just so bad, but the saving grace is in the B story where we get to see our good friend Michael Forrest show up. Uh, wait, I'm sorry. No, that's Michael Ansara show up uh, <laughs> as uh, Luoxana's Tavnian husband, Jael. I thought that was a great, um, nice bringing back someone into the Star Trek family again as a different character. Uh, I think it's his third or maybe even his fourth at this point. Um, but yeah, it's skip it. It's just, it's just terrible. So sidebar Dayton, we're at STLV this past year oh, and geez. Dan and I are talking to Michael Forrest <laughs> our friend Casey Shafke introduced us to, and Dan called him Michael and Sarah. No! Why that's there. Like while he was talking to him. Yeah, it's just yeah. Not even any reason. I have no. I haven't even said Michael Ansara in like twenty years, but yet there I am making a fool of myself. Yeah, so, it yeah. was awesome. I loved it. Yeah, Why is that much? <laughs> oh. so, and, and but but I got to add to that. He took it in stride. He's like, oh, Michael Ansara. Oh, I remember him. I I always wondered if he was Jewish. It was just the funniest thing. He just kept it right in line. I loved it. Yeah. So anyway, uh, the muse. So, uh, Dan, you can. Dan, can you see my notes in the uh, in the spreadsheet? I can. <laughs> would you Would you read them, please? Um, Bill has skip it with a poop emoticon, and <laughs> that's it. 
that's my notes for this episode. Wow. Poop emoji. All right. Well, I don't. I don't hate this episode. Hate is a strong word, and I reserve that for episodes like "And the Children Shall Lead." <laughs> Code of honor. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or move along home. Uh, oh, I love move along home. Uh-oh. Well, it's okay to be wrong. But anyway, no, I just my my one regret about this episode is that it's the last time we see Major Barrett as Locks on a Troy. Yeah. And yeah. I love Major Barrett to death. Yep. I have yep. always yep. loved her and I loved her in this role. I mean, this was she this was a role that she had enormous fun with, and you could tell, and especially in the next gen episodes. Um so it's a shame that this is the last time we'll see her character. Um, but I'm just I just Again, it's one of those ones where I, it probably sounded good on paper, <laughs> you know. And oh, look at what we'll do here, and then it just sort of went off the rails. So, and as far as I can tell, nobody involved with the making of this episode likes it. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. None of, none of us have talked about the A story. That's hysterical. I know. It's, it's so like we don't awful. want to because we don't want to get sucked into that trap. But <laughs> it's like I think even the people who catered this episode production. <laughs> So. Well, I, I can see the discussion when they were breaking this story. It's like, all right, we need a Jake story. <laughs> right. And this is what they come up with. Why? Why do they hate Ciroc Lofton? That's what I want to know. <laughs> um, so as you might guess, gentlemen, this was the highest percentage of skip in this year's, the season's theater skip it. Uh, would you care to guess the percentage of skip it for the muse? It was Dan. I'm going to say 75% skip it. Dayton? I'll say at least 80%. Wow. You guys hate this episode a lot more than they do. 62.9%. Oh, okay. well, wow. It's better to say that this. they're more forgiving than we are. Yeah. That, that's the spin that we're going to put on it. They're far more forgiving. We're just jerks. Maybe they're more open-minded <laughs> than we are. Maybe that's the way to spin that. I'm going to go back to poop emoji. Okay. <laughs> All right. That's your call sign from now on. <laughs> oh, I like that. All right, so episode 22, For the Cause, Cisco learns that his girlfriend Cassidy might be a Maquis smuggler. Take it away, Bill. Yeah, and that's not all that happens in this one. I mean, this is, uh, this. we devoted an entire podcast episode to this, and in fact, we did the whole Eddington arc, and just the twist on this in the fourth act is is worth the price of admission alone. Cisco, you know, kind of gets a double betrayal of sorts in this, and... Uh, this is an absolute see it. This is one of the best episodes of season four, and it sets up stuff for the future that I just love. Dan? Everything has been building to this, guys. It's just a definite see it for me. Uh, that twist, like you talked about, it, that happened, and we were like, oh, no, he didn't. I mean, it was just crazy. We did not expect that at all. But then again, we also didn't expect her to be uh, a smuggler and this, that, and the other thing. It's a brilliant episode. Like Bill said, we had a great time talking about this for a full uh, episode of our podcast. And it's an amazing part one to an arc that takes a long time to finish. It's only three episodes, but it's stretched out over a long time to keep you interested in it. And I thought that was another brilliant piece of writing. Did you just, oh, no, he didn't? Oh, no, he didn't. (laughs) Don't do that again. Oh, my God. Oh, no, no, he didn't. No, stop. Stop. (laughs) Dayton? I'm still trying to get over that one. Okay. Yeah, yeah, me too. It's like I didn't know Dan was so street. <laughs> yeah, um, look at him. No, this is this just for Eddington and Cisco alone, this is a winner. Um, I mean, the fact that Cassidy turns out to be working for the Maquis, it's it's kind of a surprise, but at the same time, you, you kind of 
saw it coming. Um, but I love the dynamic and this position that puts Cisco in. Um, and then just for Eddington to do what he does in this episode, and you just know it pisses Cisco off something years. And yeah. we'll see that payoff. That's the best. That's the best part about this episode is that this is one of those things that you can't wait for the payoff, and the payoff lives up to the mm -hmm. expectation. No spoilers. But, no spoilers. Uh, no, mm -hmm. I, this is a definite see it for me. Camp Kittimer agrees unanimously. 100% of respondents oh said this was a see it, and they are not wrong by any means. That's nope. 100% so far this season, right? Yeah, that's that's never happened before. That's unbelievable. That's great. Well, I mean, it's nice. a good story. So, I mean, it's, this is what DS9 does so well, mm -hmm. flipping the script, you know. Um, okay, so episode 23. We're getting to the nitty-gritty now. Uh, episode 23, To the Death. Cisco and the Defiant crew join forces with the Jem'Hadar to stop a group of Jem'Hadar renegades from taking control of an Iconian gateway. This just has everything in it. Take it, Dan. Yeah, this is, oh my god, I love this episode so much. <laughs> um, if not for anything else, we get to welcome Wei-Yoon to the Deep Space Nine family. Jeffrey Combs, finally we get to see him for the first time, and then we get to say goodbye to him for the first time also, which is kind of cool. Um, it's a, just an amazing story showing the chain of command, so to speak, with the Dominion, uh, with the Jem'Hadar and the Vorda and who's first and second. It's it's really great to see. And I love the callback to TNG with the Iconians and the Gateways. Great, great story. It sets up so much more down the line. And uh, I love it. Love it, Bill. I agree entirely. Everything you said, Dan, is everything that, that I'm going to say. Start of Wayun, we get the TNG callback to early TNG, which is even better. Yeah. So, uh, th that really makes me happy. Jemadar and Starfleet working together. You know, we get to say hello, goodbye to Wayun. Uh, I don't know why he says goodbye when I say hello. Uh, just I don't get that. Um, but to absolute see it for me. Oh my God, they killed Wayun. Those bastards. <laughs> um, there's just so much cool in this episode. And and from my understanding is when they this they actually had to edit this one down to remove some of the violence. Yeah, uh, I believe it. Apparently they I went really it. off the rails with it. I love I love Jeffrey Combs, so he's always a gas. And I love I'm a huge fan of Clarence Williams the third. Yeah. Um, who plays mm -hmm. the Jem'Hadar. Um, yes. And he does more for the Jem'Hadar in one episode than I think they get for the remainder of the show. Mm -hmm. um, he just brings such a depth to his character, and that's all on him. I mean, that's all on his talent as an actor. And I just love this little... It's almost like an... It's almost... If, have you ever seen a movie called Hell in the Pacific? With mm -hmm. Lee Marvin and uh, I forget the actor's name, but it's an, an American soldier and a Japanese soldier. They both are on an island stranded together during World War II, and they have to work together. There's an element of this in here where these two forces have to kind of put aside their differences long enough mm -hmm. to do something. And at the end of it, it's like, eh, it doesn't make us buddies. Yeah. When I see you again, I'm going to gut you. So it's <laughs> it's a good – it's just a great episode, and it's definitely setting the stage for what's coming later. So I give it a see it. Nice. It was it was the guy from the Godzilla movies, Toshiro Mifune. That's the name. I was I was afraid of garbling it, so I wasn't going to say it. And, and I may be mispronouncing his no, last name. No, you're right. Name, you got it. That guy is amazing. I love yeah. that guy. Yeah, he's he's amazing in everything. I um, it's interesting to to point out that that ninety five point two percent of respondents in Camp Kittimer would see this episode. Hmm. So there are alone three people who would skip to the death. 
That's a shame. Yeah. Yeah, but fantastic episode. One of my favorites by far. Yeah, it's great. Okay. Well, we're hooking right along here then. All right, episode 24, The Quickening. Bashir tries to free the population of a gamma quadrant world in the Taplan system of an engineered disease left by the Dominion. Bill, you're up. You know, this is an episode I think is key in understanding the Dominion. I mean, we all know that they'll go to great lengths to achieve their goals, but this episode actually puts a face on that and, and what it looks like. And that's why I think it's so important. Plus, in this episode, it, Bashir really gets kind of humbled. And I think that the way that comes about is written really well. And oh, how could I forget? Come to Quarks. Quarks is fun. <laughs> Come right now. Don't walk. Run. That's a see it for me, Dan. Wow, you could have sang it at least. <laughs> nobody wants that. No, nobody. I don't want that. No, this is a a see it for me as well. Um, it's one of the best Bashir stories in DS9 as a standalone Bashir, not O'Brien and Bashir. Um, and I really like that aspect. And like you said, it's essential for understanding how the ruthless the Dominion can be with the release of the Blight just because these people tried to resist the Dominion. Um I think it's it's masterful storytelling. And I also like how in a future episode of Deep Space Nine, this comes back and we have a little bit of uh, additional information about the quickening. So a little tease there for later seasons. This is a great Bashir episode um, on a number of levels. I mean, it's 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 kind of a hark back to the one in the earlier episode, the early episode where he is having to face a harsh reality. But in this one, he loses. I mean, he fails. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a moment for Bashir to kind of reground himself a little bit. Um, and I love, I just love Alexander Siddig's portrayal of Bashir in this episode. It's just, it's a very strong performance. And like you said, it definitely sets the stage for later on. Cause this will come back and yeah. Um, yeah, it's a good, it's a good see it for me. I am um, uh, Camp Kittimer, uh, 22.6% of those responding said they would skip this episode. So almost three out of four. Wow. Um, yeah, I, I think that this episode is, is key on a variety of levels, especially in, in the development of Bashir. Um, you know, he thinks he's going to come in and, and solve this thing and it, it totally knocks him on his ass. And I, I love that about this episode. I also think it's great for pacing for the series or for the season. Yeah. Because we just came off two very strong episodes to the death and the and for the cause, and this is just sort of like that dip that the roller coaster or the climb the mm -hmm. roller coaster makes before we start again. Yep, um, and and because we're going to see a lot of that coming up here, not not necessarily with the next episode, but I mean next season, obviously we're going to kick it into gear. So this is a good this is a good put the brakes on for just a little bit and kind of catch your breath. So okay, so episode twenty five, the penultimate episode of the season, body parts. Quark is diagnosed with a terminal disease, Dorak syndrome, and given a week to live. Dan, this is yours to start with. What I want is 52 discs of vacuum desiccated Quark. No more, no less. This is a definite see it for me because <laughs> the Jeffrey Combs shine as Brunt. Uh, I love the scene where he throws that magnetic Ferengi symbol up on the bar at the episode, at the end of the episode. Um, it, it's, it's, it's essential. It's another essential Ferengi episode to see how their culture works. And at the same time, I really like the B story and how they were able to work Nana visitors pregnancy in real life into the show. So it works on, on every level in both stories and I love it. And it's a see it for me, Bill. And I hope it is for you too. 
Well, I don't want to disappoint you, buddy. It absolutely is a see it for me. Um, uh, truth be told, I wasn't a big fan of this episode when it first aired, but I've come to really enjoy it over the years. I really like the Quark storyline and the plot device for explaining Nana's pregnancy, I think is pretty great. You know, they didn't shoot around it like they did for Gates mm-hmm. or like they did for Roxanne. They found a way to introduce it that I thought was pretty fantastic. So for me, this is a definite see it. I got to give this episode props for finding a unique way to deal with an actor's pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And rather than sitting her behind a desk, you know, where we can only see her from the waist up or whatever. Um, I got to give the writers credit for the, for, for t- t- taking that trope and standing it on its head. Um, but I'm really, as I hinted at earlier, you know, earlier in, ep- in the season, we got a little bit of an insight into Quark's character and how he's not your typical Ferengi or the way they've been, portrayed to this point how they can all they almost fall into a stereotype and you get a sense of quark's character again this time there are lines he won't cross there are things he will not do there are limits that he will mm. you know that he has in terms of what he will do um so and again armin shimmerman you know uh making it work so yeah for me it's a it's a it's a it's a definite change of pace from what we've had so far but i, I i'll give it a see it well and camp Kittimer- kind of agrees with us 29 percent of people responding at camp ketimer said they would skip body parts so 71 percent are in on this episode so uh still b- way better than average um season four still very very strong yeah. um, but yeah i i would watch this one uh many times hmm. okay all right we're at it we're finally here the season finale broken link Odo collapses and is taken to the infirmary. Bashir discovers Odo is losing his ability to maintain solid form. And that is talked. That description is the very definition of burying the lead for this episode. <laughs> Go ahead, uh, Bill. You know, I think this episode is amazingly strong as a, as a finisher for the season and just overall. The punishment for Odo is just one I didn't see coming at the time. And the idea that the founders could just, uh, I don't know, make him a solid really kind of blows my mind. Um, and it's kind of still does because what can't they do? Yeah. Dan, uh, see it maybe (laughs) (laughs) no, this, this episode is just so great. Um, if there's one thing that really stands out above in this episode, above other things, we talked about it a little bit earlier in one of the, uh, Odo episodes is that we get to see. Quark confront Gooey Odo when he's about to leave the station. And that level of respect that they show each other is really a defining moment in their relationship. And I, I just think it's fantastic. The story is great. The cliffhanger is probably one of the best ones that we see in that he becomes a solid. And and was he really naked on that island? I'm really not sure. I don't want to, I don't want to consider that. (laughs) No, all joking aside, it's a fantastic episode. Renee shines, everybody shines, and it really just sets the tone for what we're going to see starting next season. Yeah, I was going to say, on top of all of that, the very end, when Odo tells everybody, Gowron is a changeling. Yes. Yeah. And then they fade out and you have to wait three months. It's like uh, it's like, like best of both worlds all over again. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's it's. Oh, it was just. I didn't. I I think. I I mean, I have to admit, I never suspected that was coming. Mm. 
Um, I totally got. It's kind of like when they introduced, you, you know, uh, never mind. It's just no. Oh, I was blown away by that, and then, then fade out, and I got to wait. I'm like, are you kidding me? Yep. That was that was. It ended oh. on. It didn't end on a huge bang, but it was a great way to end that season. This was a strong season. That was a perfect way to cap it. Absolutely. I Ratchet agree. Attention. Camp Kittimer mostly agrees. Ninety-eight point four percent of respondents. Mm-hmm. Said they would see this episode. There was one lone holdout that said they would skip it. It's probably DeFord. <laughs> Barry DeFord. No, not no. Sweet Barry. <laughs> so, uh, so there we have it, gents. That is all 26 episodes of the fourth season of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Are you interested in percentages, gents? Absolutely. Well, Dan... You had 24 out of 26 for 92.31%. Congratulations. That's your highest ranking ever. And it is deserved. Season four is awesome. Dayton, you matched Dan with 24 out of 26 for 92.31. Yeah, it was a tough. It, I, it, was, it would have been easy to just say, watch the whole year and don't complain yeah. about it. Mm-hmm. But. <laughs> well, and I need something to complain about because that's just kind of the jerk I am. I hit 22 for 26 for a percentage of 84.62%. I got my requisite number of meh in and one poop emoji. So I think that I've hit a new low there. You're Damn. a poop emoji just for having such a low number, jerk. Your, your face is a poop <laughs> emoji. <laughs> your mom's Dick. a poop emoji. <laughs> That's uh, Yeah, well, and this is why people listen to Trek Geeks. It's for the insightful commentary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Glad, I, yeah, glad I could help raise the bar there. <laughs> uh, Dayton, you do nothing but, sir. We are a big fan of your work, and we are so glad that you joined us. Thank you for uh, refereeing the See It or Skip It. Um, so what are you working on these days? I am presently working on a brand spanking new Star Trek The Next Generation novel. That'll nice. be out next Excellent. spring. I think it's set for, I want to say April. April 2019 is when it's supposed to be out. So I should probably finish it. Um, um, that's, that's what I'm working on right now. That's the one that's taking up the bulk of my time in and around all that. I'm doing editing on some stuff that I wrote earlier in the year and I'm now starting to get back pages and copy edits and and notes and whatnot. Um, you may have, I think since the last time we talked, I was able to announce that I'm working on a book for inside editions called Kirk Fu. Yes. Yes. Uh, And it is, uh, it's promising to be a total blast. I had such a lot of fun with it and, um, they're, they're, I think they're getting set to be able to display some artwork from the book. Awesome. And it's basically a parody of self-defense manuals, but you get to learn all of James Kirk's <laughs> unique fighting moves. <laughs> now, I have to ask this question. So in the Omega Glory, there's a scene where Captain Kirk throws his ass at Captain Ron Tracy. Is that in the book? Oh, uh, no, actually. Mostly <laughs> <laughs> because I could not come up with a name for it that did not run afoul of standards practices. I had to settle on 12 different techniques, we'll call them, loosely. I'm using them very, I'm being very charitable, but I mean, (laughs) I gave them names like, uh, you remember Journey to Babel where he's fighting the the, the fake Andorian? Climbs the wall. And he climbs the wall and uses the wall Mm -hmm. to get at him. I call that the Jimmy Wallbanger. Oh, I love it. That's and then awesome. there's there's the scene in the apple where they're fighting uh, the natives, and he basically tumble rolls forward and takes the legs out from somebody. <laughs> I call that rolling thunder. 
<laughs> I love it. And then there's, you know, so it's, and of course the Gorn is in there with the, uh, where he ear boxes him. I think I call it the, the, uh, box lunch or something like that. <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, the, the, the beauty of the book is that I wrote the text and I played it almost completely straight in terms of the delivery of the instructions on how to carry out the different moves. And then each move is described in a series of diagrams, you know, two to four step-by-step -step <laughs> diagrams. And the whole thing is just so absurd. I actually pitched it half jokingly and was surprised when they went for it. <laughs> like, wow. Oh, now I got to actually write the damn thing. <laughs> no, I, awesome. I was hoping they would go for it because I just, I wanted to do something fun and lighthearted and silly and kind of, I don't want to poke fun at Star Trek. I mean, there's there's humor there inherent in the material mm -hmm. without being cruel or poking fun. I'm not poke, I'm not laughing at it. I'm laughing with it. Nice. So it'll it'll be fun. So and in fact, I think it comes out the same week that it, that the next gen book comes out. So I'll have a fun. Oh, April. wow. Okay. We will have copies for STLB next year. Nice. Awesome. And uh, where can people find all the wordiness of Dayton Ward? You can find me on the interwebs by going to the Googles and typing in DaytonWard.com. And that will take you to my landing page for my social media platform. And I use that word in air quotes. Nice. Uh, you can find links to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, my blog, and the other sites that I write for on a semi-regular basis like StarTrek.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Dayton. Um, we hope that you'll uh, be willing to come back again and referee one of these and, uh, and deal with the chaos. I would totally come back and do this again. This was fun. Excellent. All right, man. Thanks for having me. Well, Dan, of course, we have to thank our friends, the band Five Year Mission, without whom this podcast would not sound anywhere near as awesome. You know, somebody on Twitter this week uh, said that they discovered Five Year Mission through us, and now they are huge fans. And I guarantee that everybody else is going to be too. Please head on out over to fiveyearmission.net, download your four, or buy a CD copy of your four. It is a fantastic album. This, this is not a parody of Star Trek. Mm -hmm. These are brand new original songs that look at each episode and give you kind of a different way to think about it. They are fantastic compositions performed by wonderful musicians and friends of ours, and we guarantee you're going to love it. So Dan, that's fiveyearmission.net. Go get some tunes in your ear holes, yo. Absolutely. Lots of albums to choose from. There could be some new ones coming down the road at some point. I don't know, but you know, we just had a great discussion with season four of deep space nine bill. And, um, it, it, like I said, I think it's one of the greatest seasons of them all and for good reason, but I think it's missing a key hidden episode that not too many people know about. So I'd love to tell you about it. I, I, have, I have a feeling I don't have much of a choice. You don't have much of a choice. It, it's very similar to the Ascension, which was a great episode, and I've grown to love that one. But it's got this weird twist in it. You know, indeed, someone came through the wormhole claiming to be the emissary. Again, Cisco and this mysterious figure visited the prophets to find out exactly who it was that was to speak for them. But in this episode, Bill, you can stop smiling. This person was sent back to his own time to complete the coveted year five album that had gone uncompleted for so many centuries. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, thanks to the prophets, Farcorum Lan was sent back to complete his destiny as drummer extraordinaire. And I thank the prophets because your ear holes will enjoy it when year five is, is finished. So it, um, yeah, it's Farcorum Lan. I want to point out that your Dajara would have you cleaning toilets. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, so that's fiveyearmission.net. Please download their music, become big fans, because we are too. Dan, next week, simply put, it's Star Trek's finest hour. Yeah, you're not going to get any argument from me, man. We just got dis- done discussing this episode and see it or skip it with Dayton. And I went as far to say that it may be the best episode of Trek ever. So next week, we're going to deep dive into the amazing episode that is The Visitor. What makes this episode so special? What makes it one of the best? Well, tune in next week on Trek Geeks, your independent Star Trek podcast. You know, whenever I watch this episode, I need a box of Kleenex. Mm -hmm. And I suspect that I'm going to need one just for recording our conversation about it next week. It is that important an episode in Deep Space Nine and in Star Trek. And I think it tells Star Trek's greatest love story, like I said earlier. So that's next week here on Trek Geek. Stand for more great Star Trek discussion. We want everyone to check out the Tricorder Transmissions online at the TricorderTransmissions.com. Congratulations to Marina and Jesse, who have taken over the reins on Shore Leave. Mm. The brand new hosts, they're going to do a fantastic job over there, and we can't wait to hear what they have in store. But of course, uh, so many great podcasts over at Tricorder Transmissions, whether it's the brand new Queer Trek or Weekly Trek or Drawing Trek. You see a trend here? That's a lot or, of track. Uh, yeah, Shore Leave, like we mentioned. Of course, our friends at uh, at Trek Profiles and, and Trek Ranks, respectively. Just download all of their stuff. We guarantee there's something you're going to love. And of course, Dan, for all the news on all the Star Treks, yo, please visit our good friends at treknews.net. For now, this has been episode 149 of the Trek Geeks podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. I wish I had some dramatic music here. <clears throat> I mean... He's one of them. Gowron, the leader of the Klingon Empire, is a coconut. I can believe that. Yeah, no, those crazy eyes? Yep. Glory to you and, and your coconut. <laughs> <laughs> Music for Trek Geeks is provided by Five Year Mission. They are writing one song for each episode of the original series. Download their music at fiveyearmission.net. Trek Geeks, a Star Trek podcast, is a production of Coconut Media Works, executive producer Bill Smith. For even more Star Trek discussion, check out Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery Companion, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and discoveringtrek.com. Bong. You okay? I'm fine. How are you? I was a little squeaky. Um, I got to mix it up every now and then. Should be like, bing bong. Like what? Like what? Bing bong. See, I don't have boomerang installed right here in this chat window. So, I mean, the only way I can see that over and over is to get you to do it over and over. <laughs> so, <laughs> Dude, I'm shredded. You're what? Shredded. shredded. I could like fall asleep standing, just sitting here right now. Uh, but yet, there you are drinking margarita. Well, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> Better podcasting through libation. I love it. I like that a lot. That should be the official motto of of this podcast. <laughs> uh, how 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 are you? How are you? 
I'm well. Um, Your I've, face is well. Thank, thank you. Mm-hmm. As you know, my wife and I were in the Atlanta area last weekend. Yes, yes, I do. Which was a uh, was a great time with family. Good, good. Uh, I got to say, I have uh, well, my niece and, and nephew now have families of their own. So now I have great nieces and great nephews, and what a bunch of of fun, good natured kids! It was a great weekend. So you mean second generation nieces and nephews, not just that they're awesome. Correct. Okay, just wanted to make sure, but they are awesome. They are. Oh, they absolutely are. Okay. All six of them. They are just a bunch of fun kids, and uh, we laughed a lot all weekend long, and had lots of great new memories for them. So it was fantastic. Awesome. That's always good to hear. I always liked the Atlanta area. My brother went to Georgia Tech, so I would drive down there, or I would fly down there every uh, year when um, his school got out for the summer. And I'd go down there a day or so early and we'd do stuff around town. And then we'd drive his car back home to New Hampshire, which was always quite an interesting um, escapade. (laughs) (laughs) That's a very carefully selected word, my friend. It was a 1976 or maybe 80s Buick Regal. And one year the air conditioner wasn't working. That was fun. (laughs) Oh, oh. And we used to have his big giant boombox in the middle of the big seat in the front playing Pat Benatar and Stevie Nicks for most of the trip home. Oh my God, that's fantastic. Mm. And it was and before course- it was before cell phones. So the one time where we decided to drive later than we told my folks, my dad had the Virginia State Police out looking for us because he thought we might have been in an accident. well no air conditioning leaving atlanta in may when tech gets out for the year that had to be horrible it wasn't fun and it was also like if it rained and the and the windows would fog up there was nothing to like clear it out so it was always good too (laughs) well someday you may get the chance to make that drive again why no (laughs) (laughs) for you anything my man except that probably yeah, I'll do, it, I'll do it for Kelly. <laughs> oh, or what Abby, a sweetheart. Oh, yeah. yeah, you should absolutely do it for them. Don't do a damn thing for me. No, I do enough for you here on this very podcast. Well, oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, you, you, and your magnanimous ways. <laughs> oh, luminous one, to steal a line from Battlestar Galactica. Wow, by your command. Uh, but uh, I am the executive producer, as you like to point out, all mm. too often. Yeah. <laughs> i miss that guy i miss him too golly Jeez. i miss that guy so um so yeah we're we're back and uh and stuff yeah Just, it sucks that my travel schedule caused this episode to be slightly delayed this week but that's uh, okay hey at least we're putting something out right that's right yeah. right yeah all right and it's gonna be fun because it's theater skip it <laughs> 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 it's not just a fan favorite, people. <laughs> it's a Dan favorite. Yeah. Oh, I like so, that. Here's what I have to know. Mm. So you, of course, uh, do a, a Friday commute celebration lip sync with me just about every week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you've been holding out. Why? On doing Michael Jackson songs till you find your sequin glove. Yes. Where is this effing thing? I thought it was in the hutch that we now have in the... Um, uh, in the new house. And I went into the drawer the other night. I'm like, Oh, I got to get the glove. And it wasn't there. So it's, I know it. I have never, I've not gotten rid of it. I know that. And I will find it and it will be a magical moment when I find it. And we can record Michael Jackson, 
uh, for the Friday commute celebration. Magical for whom? For you, because you're going to be like, oh my God, he's as good as he says he is. (laughs) (laughs) And it's funny because yesterday, as we record this, was Michael Jackson's birthday. So on Sirius XM, they had all kinds of Michael songs playing. And as I was driving home, Bad was on, and dude, I was killing it. Killing it. Lip syncing to that. I just, I wish you still had the jacket. Yeah, me too. The beat, I had both the thriller jacket and the beat it jacket, and I, they're gone. I think they were gone when uh, the folks moved out of the original house years ago. How do pictures of these not exist? Well, I'll tell you what, I don't know if I've ever told you this story, but years and years ago, um, there was a Halloween party at the Nashua Country Club when my folks were members there. And I went as Michael, I got the wig, I got the makeup, jacket, shoes, socks, glove, and I had a light uh, makeup because he had a lighter complexion as an African-American. And one of the friends of the family went and he went as Mr. T and he had the darker makeup. It was perfect. And it was the funnest Holly uh, Halloween party I have ever been to. It was great. I was out there dancing all night, having a blast and I have no pictures of it. Can you moonwalk? Uh, I could back when I was lighter. (laughs) (laughs) So now you're saying you'd need to be on the moon to moonwalk. If I was on a slippery enough floor and my shoes weren't um, very rubbery sold, I probably could still do it. Standing on the toes, though, like I used to be able to, is not happening unless my ankles snap like two pieces of paper brought together and folded. Like a pencil. Like a pencil, exactly. Yes. So we need to get you to do this in Vegas. If I have enough of these in me, I might be able to. I was just going to say, it's going to take some of that. But <laughs> As he drinks his margarita. Yes. <laughs> I'm drinking water. Mm-hmm. Very nice Trek water. Geeks uh, logo there, too. I like that. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yes. Yeah. But uh, no, it was it was fun. I uh, had a good time. As a matter of fact, just a couple of years ago when my wife had her work Christmas party, um, I did a whole routine of Gangnam style and had the whole place like roaring. And I was talking to another woman who worked there who was a professional dancer. And we were going to do Michael Jackson the next Christmas. But she ended up leaving the company before it happened. Did she go into witness protection after that? Because I would have, I would have after you made that offer. (laughs) Oh, it wasn't my offer. She wanted to do it. Uh huh. Yeah, that's that's the story you tell now. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. It would have been very fun. It would have been cool. We were going to do Thriller, the whole dance and everything. (laughs) Oh God, we have to make one of these. (laughs) People can't see you, but you're doing it right now. <laughs> exactly. Hey, look at okay. Now I got a backup dancer, and you, you, you just signed on right now. Um, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> All right, are you ready to do this? There, uh, I am King of Pop. Let's do. It. <laughs> I take that's a yes. It is. <laughs> <laughs>